Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. Looking forward to an awesome episode today. We are talking with JC Otero, Manager of Sales Development over at Informatica. JC, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So I met you making a contribution to the SDR blog post that we have over at 10Bound. And, you know, we've gotten a tremendous amount of interest in the blog post and just appreciate you, you know, contributing to the community and sharing your wisdom and coming on today. So JC, you're managing the sales development team over at Informatica. How did you get involved in sales development and how did you, you know, find your way to managing the team over at Informatica? Yeah, really great question. So the way that I got into the role was that my previous role helped kind of springboard me into that leadership role. And in early 2018, Informatic was investing in building out an inside sales organization. And at the time I was with a previous company in a leadership role. But I was really uh, captivated by the company, along with their investment and development and and the sales leader that was building it out came highly recommended. So, in fact, I took a step back in my career from going from a director role into an individual contributor. And from day one, my immediate goal was, what do I need to do to get into a leadership role? And as I excelled as an inside sales rep on helping build out the organization, having my own successes, uh, when the opportunity came up, because executive leadership saw the value that we were contributing, that they invested in a sales development organization to be built out from scratch. And because of my able to excel in the inside sales role, along with some other leadership experience that I have both at work and outside of work, I was a great fit for it. And so I became the first SDR manager hired to build out the group. And, and that happened in summer of 2019. And so that's kind of how I ended up in this particular role was as an individual contributor at the same company and then into a leadership role to, to kind of teach people how to fish. Got it. Okay. So, you know, we have a lot of folks who listen to the show who are sales reps or they're SDRs. They're trying to figure out how do I get into the manager position and then what sort of makes you successful in that endeavor? Yeah. So I think it's two parts. We have to definitely be very proactive because I think what oftentimes happens is that most people apply for a job when the job posting is public but the ones that end up getting jobs are the ones that have been putting in the work and position themselves well in advance before that opportunity arises. And what I mean by that is, first and foremost, we have to be really clear in terms of where we want to go. And in sales, you know, you're either going to be an individual contributor and try and work your way towards the field. And then if you're more interested in leadership and developing people, you kind of go towards the management route. And so I think it's really important for people to understand what's important to them. Like oftentimes I get asked like, man, JC, you're just so good at this. Why don't you just go out to the field and you can make so much more money? And, you know, that's great. But, you know, what drives me and what really, you know, lights me up is being able to develop people to kind of try and bring out their potential that they can be, right? And, and so that's the first part is determining what that is. And, you know, whether you're starting today or you've been in the role for so long, you need to know where you're going next. Because if you don't know where you're going, and you can't put the things in place to work towards that. So if you feel that management is the way to go, well, you need to talk to your leaders and understand 
understand what it is that they look for in their managers. Because if we don't understand what they're looking for, then we can't assess you know, where our strengths and weaknesses are. So that way, once the position opens up, we can be top of mind for that. Second is, in terms of making the move, is having that in mind. So you, know, you can ask my previous managers or anybody from day one, I made it very clear this is where I want to go. What do I have to do to get there? And then just constantly like being in communication and top of mind. And so that's some key feedback there is knowing what's driving you and what your purpose is, and then working with those that are essentially the decision makers to understand what it is that they're looking for. So that way we could do that. And then more importantly, you know, it's an ultra competitive world that we live in, right? We're going to be competing with people both inside the company and externally. And so we have to be very proactive in terms of developing our leadership capabilities outside of work. You know, like, for example, I recognize that I needed to get my MBA and I got my MBA some years ago in organizational leadership. I also recognized, too, that I needed to improve my, my leadership communication and, and just leading people. And so I invested pretty heavily in the Dell Carnegie program and ultimately became a certified trainer. And so those weren't things that I had to do, but I recognized that I needed to do those in order to differentiate myself from unknown candidates that would be applying for the same positions I would be in the future. It's such great advice. And so I'm curious, when you were a sales rep, you're doing really well. And what drove you to want to get into helping others in the management perspective? Was it just sort of an internal drive? Because like you said, you know, we talk to a lot of people who are on the other side. So they, they become a sales rep, they become an SDR manager, and they're like, uh, this isn't working. So they go back to being a sales rep for just the reason that you mentioned. You know, you can control your own day and make a lot of money. When you were at that crossroads, what was it that, you know, made you want to, you know, expand your leadership skills? Yeah, for sure. And so I was fortunate to have some mentors over the years. And, you know, it's all about the long game. And unfortunately, people are kind of seeing, you know, quarter by quarter or next year. Whereas the view that I like to take is, where am I, where do I want to be at in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? And so, you know, me personally, my long-term game is I ultimately want to be a business leader, like, you know, the highest of business leaders in terms of the C-suite, right? And so I recognize that, well, I'm not going to get there if I continue being an individual contributor. Yes, I could probably go make some more money being a field rep, and then you get stuck there. You know, I have, I have some really close friends that are really successful field reps, and, you know, they really have a passion for developing people, but then they find themselves in a situation where they're making so much money that they can't get into a leadership role, mainly because they don't have previous leadership experience, and they're essentially stuck, and they'd have to take multiple steps back because they didn't have that foresight to think like, where do I ultimately want to be? And now they find themselves in that position where they can't make that move. And so with me, it's just, you know, that's my, my goal is that I recognize that I needed to make that shift into more of a leadership role and move up the ranks. And I, I knew that I wasn't going to get there as an individual contributor. So that's kind of what's driving me to, to kind of make that move and continue. So. Got it. And so do you feel like your sales experience helps with running an SDR team? Because a lot of SDR managers come up through the ranks from the SDR organization, but they don't necessarily have the sales experience. And it seems like that's sort of a missing piece of the puzzle to be effective as an SDR leader. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you on that. And I think one thing that, you know, really helps me with this particular company was that I was an individual contributor. And, you know, I've, I've won some really big deals, multi-million dollar ones, I've been able to get into accounts that no one has, has been able to. And, and that, and that kind of credibility has helped in terms of like, I'm going to teach you how to hunt, 
I'm going to teach you how to fish. And so oftentimes what I see is that it's, you know, some managers might just be like, well, this is what you need to do. But instead, you know, a big part of it is teaching people how to think critically and be able to solve problems and figure out things on their own, because we're not always going to have like a, a sales leader to be able to do that. In terms of experience, I tell this to my reps is your success is my success. I don't expect any of you all to be career SDRs, nor do I want a career SDR on my team because I'm all about developing people and progressing them into their careers. Not saying that anything's wrong for anybody that wants to stay as an SDR their whole career, but I'm developing, my philosophy is I'm developing exceptional salespeople. And because I've had closing experience in you know, hardware roles, software roles, IT services roles, is that it brings this strong mixture of how to hunt for business and how to progress those deals to close. And in developing reps, you know, once they learn my background and, you know, work with me a little bit, you know, they start seeing like, oh, you know, I can, I can get there. I can do that. And I think having that experience is key because, you know, that's what we're trying to develop into that next role. Okay. That's really interesting. So, you know, when you look at career SDRs, there's some benefit there because that, you, yeah. you know, like from a high level perspective, the reason that you have the SDR team is to create pipeline, right? And right. Then, you know, that's one reason. And then the, the sort of the secondary one or however you want to prioritize it, the secondary one is career development and having like a bench strength, you know, for your sales team, right? right? So if you look at right. it purely from a business perspective, it's like, those career SDRs are, are if, if they just sort of steady Eddie, you know, they're always creating pipeline, mm-hmm. like constantly, you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about like them leaving the organization and stuff. Cause that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. But for your organization, that doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there is pros and cons with anything, right. And it really kind of depends on what you're doing. And you know, the way that I view it is that, you know, it's, we're the lifeblood of the organization. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as I was part of the inside sales group that got created and now we have sales development. And so now at Informatic, we have a complete career pipeline. You know, we can bring in people that have little to no sales experience, be able to develop them in the sales development role, you know, move them on into inside sales within 18, 24 months, potentially, depending on openings, right? They're able to excel there and then move ultimately out to the field, right? And, you know, the other thing too about it is everyone wants pipe, right? But let me ask you this. Would you rather have $5 million of pipe, or would you rather have, you know, two and a half million dollars of quality pipe that has a very high likelihood of closing, right? And so there's the aspect of ramp up, right? And so having been part of this organization, you know, I've been able to have the, the I don't want to say the luxury or the, the, the opportunity to be able to build things from scratch. And what I mean by that is in terms of like systems and processes on how we, you know, source our candidates how we interview them to ensure that we're getting the, you know, the top talent, not necessarily looking for sales experience and looking for certain characteristics of individuals that if they possess those things, I can mold them into the world's most awesome sales hunters. And so if you're able to solve, you know, the the vetting of candidates, the onboarding and ramping up quickly, like I have reps now that within the first full quarter, they're already hitting over hundred percent because we're focusing a lot on the blocking and tackling because they possess those characteristics. And so now it doesn't become one of those things where I need to resort on a crutch of having a career SDR that, you know, is just building pipe and doing that. I can get somebody that's hungry, 
right, and wanting to move forward and develop their career and be able to, you know, teach them how to be like the world's best hunters in that regards. It's almost like a flywheel. And this is really great. If you're an SDR out there and you've got all these characteristics, you got to call JC because <laughs> there's a lot of companies that you get into and there is no career path. There's no training. There's no attention you know you're just kind of on your own and then you realize when you get in there that there is no inside sales position for me it's just either you're an sdr or you were in field sales with 20 years of experience you know there's no middle mm. ground so what an amazing opportunity for people that work for you as well yeah and part of that too is it reminds me of kind of a quote that you know has really resonated with me over the years and i kind of try and hold it true and it comes from person wrote The Strangest Secret. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but oh, talk about what success is. There you go. Earl Nightingale. There you go. I love it. He's got a great, there's a great audio clip on YouTube. You can just look up Strangest Secrets, black and white, highly recommend it. But when he talks about success, right? And how he defines success is, you know, the progressive movement towards a worthy ideal, right? And so in this case, as an SDR, your worthy ideal is to progress your career, right? You want to move in inside sales to get that additional sales experience. But ultimately, the salespeople want to make more money, right? Like it should go without saying that someone out in the field makes infinitely more money than a sales development rep, like without question, right? And so once we understand as sales leaders where our reps want to go, then we can identify what that gap is and then be able to present opportunities that are going to help them close that in order to get to the next step. And so all that, what that does is it really fuels motivation. And at the end of the day, like, I mean, I tell this to, to, to all my reps and everybody, sales development is hard. It's a grind. We're getting the accounts that are, you know, hardest to get into that no one else has been able to get into. We're having to call every day, email, prospect, you know, we're having to work with the field and do all these things. But if we have that goal that's driving us, that's going to be our, our motivation every single day to do what we have to do in order to get to that next step. I love how, how you lay it out. And so, you know, it goes back to, I think, recruiting as well. I mean, tell me about your recruiting process because it seems like if you can find the right person that fits in mm -hmm. to the high performance you know machine that you've built then it's going to be a lot easier for you to run the program because they're sort of self-motivated right and you just lay right. out the groundwork for them so how do you find these people that fit into your program? Well, yeah, so great question. I'm actually interviewing right now. We're kind of in the final stages of, of bringing on one of our candidates. As I mentioned, our sales development org, we just passed our one-year milestone, and we had our first promotion inside sales, and we have definitely a bunch of other candidates that are you know, ready to go into inside sales as soon as there's other openings. And so I'm actually you know, interviewing quite a bit right now, and it's kind of a collaborative approach. And so you know, from my own perspective, I look for certain things. Right. As I mentioned in a sales development role, I don't expect anybody to have sales experience. If they have some, great, that's a plus, but it's not a shoe in. I'm looking for very basic things and I'm able to kind of assess those and speaking with somebody. Like for example, I'm looking for aptitude, right? And so with what we do at Informatica, we're the world's leading data management company and we have a lot of solutions. And I tell my reps, well, this sales job here is the most challenging sales job I've ever had in my 15 plus years of, of being in sales. So aptitude has to be there. Are they able to grasp, you know, concepts that are, you know, relevant to what we're doing? Attitude. I think attitude is just equally as important as aptitude and maybe even more so because if you have the right attitude, we can make up on the aptitude through just a little bit more training and development. Attitude is extremely key, especially right now during COVID, right? Like, you know, early on, people were kind of just down by it, but because everyone on our team had the right attitude, we saw that as our opportunity that our competition is probably down in the dumps and they're having some cases of stinking thinking. We're going to use that as our way to get through there. 
right? So you can tell an attitude when speaking with someone on, on an interview, <laughs> right? Yep. You know, asking them That's how they've over, right? Yeah, yeah there, you, there you yeah. go. There you go. I love, I love Zig. I love Zig. I love it. So you're looking yeah. for that. It's almost a smell. <laughs> that yeah, kind of, right? Got it. I okay. could tell, like, for example, I just had yeah. an interview with a candidate the other day. It's we easy had to... informal... yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to find that right now. I catch myself, you know, in this situation. So, but you're looking out for that. Yeah. Yeah. And just like you said, like Zig Ziglar, one one of the other quotes, says, like, motivation is like bathing. We got to do it every single day. Yeah. And one of those things, like, you know, I have a routine every morning. My wife, my wife doesn't like it because I'll be walking around with headphones on, but I listen to like motivational talks and speeches in the morning. It just gets me, like, I have to prime the machine, right? So, attitude is extremely key. I'm also looking for people that are action oriented. You know, especially with recent college graduates, right? That's great that you got a three and a half, you know, 3.5 or 4.0 GPA. But I want to know what clubs you were in, what leadership opportunities did you have? Did you work? Did you have internships? Because it's showing that you're action oriented. Also look for their ability to ask questions. You won't believe how many candidates are in interviews and they have either no questions or extremely weak questions. And in a sales development role, questions is, is all we got when we're talking to a prospect. And by you asking very effective, powerful questions, that conveys to me that you're also going to be doing that on the phone. The other thing that kind of comes to mind is attention to detail. And so one of the things that I always tell my reps is we're always interviewing, right? You know, even when we're in a current role right now and you interact with your field reps or your field leadership or inside sales, every interaction that you have with them, you're interviewing because eventually they're going to have an opportunity. Same thing with candidates. You won't believe how many candidates don't send a follow-up thank you message or they don't accept a like they don't accept a connection request like until weeks later, right? And so it's those little things that I look for that I can do it and then the last one that comes to mind is articulate. And so if you can't communicate effectively, both verbal, written, then we're not going to be successful in sales. And you know, one of my mentors taught me that early on. So I invested my time and energy in joining Toastmasters. So I took it upon myself to try and be the best speaker I can be. You know, I then invested in Dale Carnegie. Every opportunity in a meeting or at work to present, I'm always one of the first ones to do it because I'm always trying to fine tune my, my communication skills. And what happens over years, and you know, I experience this now where like I talk to people or I'm on calls or I'm in a meeting and they're like, wow, right? I want to get like that. But what they see is they see today's results. They haven't seen the past like 10, 15 years of going to Toastmasters once a week in the evening, working on your speeches, investing in Dale Carnegie, doing all those things that then got me to this point. Everyone wants to get the end result, but they don't want to put in the work, right? Like there's a quote from, I think, Eric Thomas that I hear all the time. Everyone wants to be a beast until it comes to doing what beasts do. And what that is, is putting in the work, like being an overachiever when it comes to grinding and just doing those extra things. Those aren't things that I had to do. But those were things that I needed to do in order to help me get to where I need to get to. So amazing. I mean, and, and there's so much that goes into it to be the 15 year overnight success, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hear that and all the time. There's so many haters of, of like successful people. And I just, you know, you never know. I think it's just maturity, but it's like, you never know all the stuff that they had to do, you know, behind here, the scenes. Yeah. How many Toastmasters, how many Dale Carnegie, how many, Dada, you know, all these things. All yeah. you see is that end result. So that's the Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and here's the, yeah, here's the thing, too, to kind of keep in mind is that everybody, for the most part, that's successful didn't get there by themselves. 
somebody helped him get there. You know, success leaves clues. And unfortunately, to your point, you know, people, it's easy to hate on success, right? It's easy to like, oh, that person looked out, that person this or that or whatnot. Well, you don't know their story for one. And then two, if you were just to take the time out and reach out to them and be like, hey, you know, I want to learn your story. I want to learn how you got to where you're going. They're more than likely going to welcome that because somebody helped them do that too. It is their way of paying it forward. And, you know, I found that the most successful people are also sometimes the most supportive and helpful people because, you know, success begets success. And, and so that's just kind of one recommendation is that wherever you're trying to go in your career, whether it's field or SDR leadership or VP or director, try and build those relationships with those people. Just simply reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I, I saw that you've, you're here. I ultimately want to get there. You know, can I just pick your brain? And that's it. And then just go for it. You know, nine times, you know, most of the time, they're probably going to be receptive. So just keep that in mind. 100%. And, and so, okay, so you're trying to build this team, right? And you've got this system to be able to find people that have the similar growth-minded attitude, right? And, and then, so say you find this kind of diamond in the rough, like what's their process of getting up to speed, you know, so quickly on the team where they can start to be productive in such a short time? Yeah. And so... First and foremost is kind of just like setting expectations. And so as I mentioned earlier is like, you know, I don't try and sugarcoat and be like, hey, this is going to be easy. No, this is going to be hard, right? But as a result of that, we're going to become so much better and so much more effective. And, you know, we have to have that aspiration to be the best that we can be. And so in terms of like ramp up, you know, we take like maybe an alternative approach. And so like, I'm definitely not from the philosophy of like, I'm just going to throw someone on the phone and then just hope that they figure it out and they're going to learn through trial and error because that's not setting up anybody for success, right? And so, you know, in this particular organization that we've been fortunate enough to build from scratch and not have to be confined on previous processes is, you know, it's a multifaceted approach. And so we have an enablement organization. We have my experience. We've also created somewhat of a mentoring relationship so that more tenured reps can help onboard them. In terms of like our training, like we have a really great learning management system in Seismic that houses all of our content. And so what we do is we've, we have two things. One is we have like a new hire academy that's run by our, like our global enablement organization, which spans about two months, I believe, and has like different coursework and things like that. That's very like high level in general. Whereas what then we then provide is more role specific. And so we have added learning on that, but the important part is application. And what I mean by that is you can have a rep sit in front of say a training and then you can ask them to go make phone calls. But what's going to be the game changer is have them go through the training, have a discussion around the training. What did they learn? What made sense? What did it make sense? What questions do they have? The why behind it? And then do a lot of like role playing and preparation. And the role playing and preparation is really key because it helps with those conversations and anticipation. And so like one of the things that I work with my, my SDRs on is I've created some kind of like an anticipation tree. So you can kind of think of it like a decision tree is that because we're reaching out to someone, we can anticipate how that conversation is going to go. And so we will know ahead of time on what could potentially happen. So then what that does is it increases our confidence, makes us a lot more effective. And then it just comes down to practice, practice, practice and coaching. And so, you know, it's one thing is that on onboarding reps is constant, never ending improvement. So I have like a saying on my team is how do we get 1% better? So I'm coaching on everything from how we're doing our account planning to how we're, you know, fine tuning our pitch 
to how we're handling objections, to how we're writing our emails and follow-up, how we're leveraging our tools to effectively find contacts or intel, and then piecing that all together and then applying it while at the same time too revisiting it. So now we're just constantly getting better. And what ultimately happens is they start getting it, right? And they start developing it even more. And then you start challenging them to kind of think outside the box and add more to it. And so it's this whole multifaceted approach that really helps in terms of like ramping up, you know, non-salespeople really quickly. It gets them rampant. And so it's tough with the coaching. How do you scale that across the team? Because you're just one person. You might have <laughs> 10, 20, 30 reps working for you. I mean, in some companies, you know, sometimes it's like one manager to 10 reps or mm -hmm. more. And, right. and you, you want to sit there. Like in the old days, we had like a splitter, like a phone splitter. <laughs> you know, remember those? Yeah. <laughs> You've been around yeah, for a while. Yeah, I do. Yeah, but yeah. Now, <laughs> now you can record the calls and you know, do all sorts of stuff in gong and chorus and stuff like that. But how do you scale those role plays, for example, and stuff like that? Yeah, great, great question. And it's, you know, the, I guess the saying goes to, it takes a village to raise a child, right? Yeah. And so the same thing with a company, right? It's just not any individual's sole focus to, in order in terms of like, enabling and empowering reps to be successful, right? And so I don't just put it all on my enablement team, but all right, well, it's your job to like train them and figure it out. And then I'm just going to sit back and do that. So in terms of coaching, it's really a collaborative approach. And so some of the things that we've been able to initiate at Informatica is, you know, we have pretty much weekly enablements. And me and the previous SDR manager, who's now our dedicated enablement person for our organization, what we've done is we've standardized what these enablements look like because you wouldn't be, I mean, I'm sure this happens to every organization when you train someone, the formats are different, the structures of the deck are different, the messages, just everything is different. So there's no consistency. And so what we've done is we've essentially operationalized that. So that way it's essentially the same every time. And then we get feedback from the reps on the training, what they like, what they didn't like, how can we make it better, what they wish to see. Right. And when they start seeing that it becomes a lot more valuable when the content's a lot more valuable to the reps, they embrace it more and they apply it more. And so in terms of like the coaching aspect, some things that we've been able to implement within the past year is instead of me trying to do all the role playing with all my reps, which to your point, I can't do like at my height, I had 14 reps. Now I have eight. And so is that is I've started introducing video recordings. And so we'll leverage our specialists. We'll leverage field people. We'll leverage people in product marketing. I can't sit in on those role plays, but I can have those recorded. So then that way I could view them later or I could view them with the reps. And then we kind of do it. I use the, the reference to like football when someone's watching film, we'll watch it together and be like, all right, well, how was your tone of voice there? How would you handle that objection? Did you hear that key word? We should dig deeper into that. And so there's that aspect of the coaching. And then also just kind of like, you know, working with our extended sales team, right? So like, you know, every single one of my reps support a region. I try and have weekly or biweekly one-on-ones with those sales leaders and asking them for feedback. What are you hearing from your reps about work on my SDR? What's good? What's bad? What can we keep doing? I'll even reach out to some of the field reps and try and get their feedback in terms of what's working and what's not. And so I look at it as more of this kind of like bigger approach that requires, you know, a lot more people to help with that because one person can't do it alone. It does. It takes a village for sure. And so I got a couple questions about that. One is if you're starting to hear negative feedback from the reps. I think everybody who's run an SDR team at some point, some 
sales rep has been like the SDR team sucks or my SDR sucks. <laughs> my yeah, you hear that all the time, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could be running the best you know program on earth and somebody would have a problem. That's just human nature. Right. But how Name do you process that? You know, because you're being so proactive, you've got the whole program in place, you've got the best people. And then somebody says that, like, how do you process that internally? What do you do with that information? I think a great, great question. I think that's something that we're all challenged with. And it comes back to our mindset, right? And so, you know, most people or average leaders may see that as they get defensive, and they start, you know, trying to defend it or doing this or that. Well, just like when we're sales reps and we talk to our prospects and like, oh, no, 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 I got a competitor. I'm good. I don't need your solutions. We get average salespeople get defensive on that. Instead, and this is where the real magic happens, is you kind of like work them as well, too. And what I mean by that is like, oh, well, tell me a little bit more about that sales leader. Why is your team not seeing value here? Oh, well, because of this, this and that. Okay, can you tell me more? Why is that important? What are your expectations? And so it's more so of having like that crucial conversation of dialogue as to like, okay, okay, I recognize that you feel that things aren't working. Let's level set here. What are your expectations, right? And what do we want to achieve? And then now it becomes more of a collaborative thing because then by the end of that discussion, it becomes like, all right, how can we work together to get the SDR working more effectively with your field reps? Part of it, too, is really being in sync with your SDRs. For example, like if I talk, and this is a conversation I've had multiple times before, not so many now just because we've been working really well, is that, you know, like, oh, well, your SDR is not working really well with my reps. Oh, well, that's, I'm really happy that you brought that up because here in my last one-on-one with my SDR, he shared with me that three of your six field reps have missed the last two one-on-ones and don't respond to his emails. So then now part of it, too, is holding them accountable. Because oftentimes, unfortunately, when you look at like a sales organization, the field or whatnot, you know, everyone puts the field on a pedestal, which is understandable because of the face of the company and the ones that work with the customers. But at the same time, too, just because someone's a field rep doesn't mean that they're the no wall. And so part of it is creating that, that mentality of equal business stature is that if you're going to hold us accountable, we're going to hold you accountable, too. And we're going to work together on figuring out what we can do. And that's kind of the approach that I take is I try not to get defensive and some of these, some of these VPs or RSDs can get pretty aggressive or hostile, but it's a matter of having those conversations to find out where the disconnect is on expectations while at the same time having a dialogue in terms of what does success look like and how can we work together to get there. Man. Okay, folks, this guy is going to run a company someday. So I want a job, <laughs> JC, at some <laughs> point, because that is what you're describing is, is very difficult. It's really, truly driving revenue alignment. And it's yep. why so many people struggle with that, because you've got to be able to have those tough conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard, hey, the more tough conversations you have, the more you can get out of your comfort zone the more successful that you're going to be. So hats off, man. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, I'm trying to work at all the time. And, you know, it's one of those things too, where like, I just didn't stumble upon this, right? Like there's obviously been many years of learning and, you know, for whoever's listening to this, hopefully I can help accelerate their learning curve so they don't have to go through the same experiences that I did. But one thing that's really helped me is as a leader, we have to be proactive in our development, right? And so like, I mean, there's tons of great books out there right? I think Chris Voss has one on like just crucial negotiations, right? That's interesting, right? Because having just hard ones, but really what's been like my my biggest game changer was the Dale Carnegie program. 
And, you know, that program is just so powerful because it just transforms you in terms of how you interact with people. And regardless of what we're doing, we're interacting with people, whether it's customers internally and whatnot. And if we can master that ability to work with people effectively, it's just game changing. And, you know, that's the thing, too, is that people don't like discomfort. You know, I'm, I'm huge on discomfort. I recognize that when I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm growing. And over time, that comfort zone just gets so big that, you know, nothing is becomes, you know, everything becomes just a little bit easier. Right. Because we just we've seen it before and we're just getting better. And I like embrace it because I know it's going to make me better. I know that those crucial conversations are going to make me stronger. But more importantly, it's going to help with my credibility with that leader because they're going to be like, oh, my God, no one's ever talked to me like this before. This is great. I love it. And so I definitely encourage people to not try and stray away from those conversations, but use that as an opportunity to grow and get better because those are going to happen time and time again. It's so true. And then you need to find bigger problems to go solve. And there's a lot of big <laughs> problems in the world. So you can get more yeah. uncomfortable and it just never ends. Yeah. But how do you keep your ego in check? You know, And how do you keep yourself from just getting offended by people? Again, you've been working on this for a long time. But you know, when some VP or some very high level person starts to push you around a little bit, how do you keep from being like, uh, you know, and it seems like you, you can somehow keep your head together, ask questions, like kind of have a critical conversation versus just getting all pissed and like kicking, kicking the wall or something like that. Yeah. So a few things you touched on there. One is like ego, right? And, you know, there's, I'm real big on quotes and you know, a quote that a friend shared with me many years ago is let your reputation precede your introduction. And basically what that means is, is be so good at what you do. And when someone meets you, especially within your company, they've already heard about you and they know like how good you are. And so what that does is it sets the tone for the conversation, right? And, you know, maybe there's those instances where maybe they haven't heard of you, right? Okay, that's fine, right? So then my next one is always be ready so you don't have to get ready. And so whoever you're talking to, you always have to be ready. If you're talking to your field leadership or your field rep or VP or whoever, think of, what's important to them, and make sure that you have answers to it. So then that way, when you do talk to them, you're able to speak confidently. You're able to speak effectively, convincingly. And then what happens with that is it just adds more to your credibility with them. We're like, oh, man, I got I to gotta work with this person. You know, and I don't want to get it twisted. I've definitely had people that are extremely difficult to work with. And over my career, I've been able to develop a knack for working with challenging situations and people, whether that's customers or leaders. And part of that is instead of looking at someone being like angry or like an extreme jerk, which you'll see all the time in sales, right? Sometimes with some, some people is that instead of seeing it in a negative light, try and change your perspective because nothing's neither good or bad, just how we see it, right? Shakespeare said that is, is that, well, I can decide to see this leader as being very difficult to work with in a negative way, or I could see it as, you know what, that person is very passionate and this is something that's really frustrating them. And it's not aligned to what they see as being like successful. So it's my job to figure that out and get us realigned so we can be working better together. And so that's like, that's the approach that I take in terms of my mindset is if I got someone screaming at me and telling me that I'm not doing this or that or whatnot, I try and take the higher ground. 
and see that as an opportunity to open up the discussion as to like, okay, well, what's lacking? What can we do? What does the ideal situation look like for you? And I kid you not, it's amazing that the transformation you'll see in the conversation where at the very beginning they'll be really upset, maybe screaming or loud or using, you know, profanity. And by the end of the conversation, they're just so excited and you can essentially sense that smile over the phone because you've created that alignment. And it has to be up to us to do that because all we can control is our mindset and thoughts and how we react to things, not how other people react. 100%, man. <laughs> You are further along the path. A lot of folks. I mean, how do we start to get this mindset? I mean, we've got we've got Dale Carnegie, Toastmasters. You've mentioned Chris Voss. You know, where do we? You just got to start digging in on this. Yeah, so I'll dig into that. You know, I was fortunate to be introduced to a lot of these things like many years ago, and you know, some some tips that I share with people is you know, I'm real big on quotes, as you can tell already. So the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. So we have to take that first step, right? And what that first step is, what do I want to be? You know, what do I want to be five years from now, 10 years from now? And, you know, this is kind of like a morbid kind of like suggestion, but it worked for me. And one of my mentors taught me this early on is that he challenged me to write my obituary. I was 19. I was battling cancer. I was working full time. I was going to school full time. And I was like, I was like, what? This guy just told me to write my obituary. Like I'm here dealing with cancer. I'm getting treatment. I was like, all right, fine. Challenge accepted. So I wrote my obituary. And I, I wish I still had it today, but I still have like the thought behind it as to where I'm working towards. And that kind of helps dictate what my goals are. And so that kind of helps with the end in mind. Like no one ever wants to confront that as like, oh my God, I'm going to die someday. Well, when you die, what do you want people to remember you as? And so I went back earlier as to the reason why I'm in leadership is because I want to develop people. Like I want so many people to come to my funeral. They can't fit people in the place. I want people to be like, oh my God, JC changed my life. He did this, he did that, he did that, blah, 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 you know? And so then that helped me do that. I was like, okay, if I want people to think of me that way, what do I have to do? So then I started looking at things where I've got to be a great speaker. I got to be a good leader. You know, I got to be able to find my niche. I got to give back. I want to, I need to be helpful. So once I understood that, that then helps dictate everything that I then did afterwards. And so in terms of like things that we can do for our own development, Figure out what's most of interest to you. Like, I don't recommend to anybody to go do a training if they're not interested in it, right? Because if you're not interested in it, you're not going to be passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it, you're not going to learn it. You're not going to embrace it. And you're not going to, you know, get the most out of it. And so the other thing too is, you know, don't put too much on your plate. You know, I think unfortunately in the society that we live in, everything's about instant gratification in short term, right? And so there's, you know, short-term instant gratification, you know, or pain or whatnot. And so like, we got to like map things out. So the other challenge that a different mentor taught me was just map out our life. Like I want to live to 117 years old. So that way I can live through three centuries, right? I don't know if I'll get there, but the idea is that you can then start seeing like it's amazing because when I was 19, I mapped out, all right, I want to work professionally. I want to work with startups. I want to get my MBA. I want to get married here. And then I just start plotting it out. And once you start plotting it out, it becomes a lot more digestible. So like one thing I tell my reps all the time is, you know, let me ask you, Dave, what's the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> there you go, right? So instead of like being overwhelmed, like, oh my God, and some people will do this. They'll go sign up for Toastmasters. They'll get all these audiobooks. They'll get all these books and they get burnt out. And so one month into it, they're burnt out. I was like, oh, nothing happened. No, no, no. You have to have the long game in mind. And so, to, you know, identify something. Like right now, I got like a list of stuff. Like, like in the past, like three months, I've gotten 
multiple certifications around sales tools that we're using. And I have probably like another list of like six to eight certifications I want to get that are industry related that I'm not getting them all at once, but now I've mapped out. So I really encourage people to create like a learning and development plan. You can make it for a quarter. You can make it for a year. You can make it for five years, right? Like if you want to go get your MBA, go get your MBA, but figure out what the process is, how long it's going to take. Talk to students, plan that out on your kind of like life timeline. If you want to get a certification, a specific tool, find out how long that's going to take and then just start plotting it out and it becomes a lot more digestible. 100%. I think that's the, there's so much information out there right now. It's all about organizing it and putting it into a game plan, you know, Mm -hmm. that has a start and end date. I I think that's, that's why, you know, people, schools are still around, you know, even Mm -hmm. though there's all this free information out there, the, what's the value of the school kind of puts it into, okay, it starts, this day and then you got to do all this and then you get your degree, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. And, and we leave school, you know, and we don't have that anymore. So you could go five years without picking up a book. Right. Exactly. I mean, like, you know, leaders are readers, right? Like it's so sad in terms of, I'm looking at my book list of books right now that I'm reading. I got like three of them by my, my bedstand. And so, you know, that's part of it too, is that we have to take ownership of ourselves. Like I'm a real big student of Napoleon Hill. And one of the things that he talks about there is he uses kind of the analogy of like, you know, burning the ships and, you know, setting sail, right? And so it's like one of those things where like, if we're a ship, you know, we're the ship, I guess there's someone else too, captain of your ship or something like that, but is that we're in control of that rudder of where we're going. Like, you know, throughout school and everything, people are telling us to do this or that, but as soon as we get out of school, it's completely up to us on what we do, what books we read, what, you know, blogs we read, podcasts. You know, we only have so much time in the day. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I get, I get on Netflix binges and I watch shows and stuff. I mean, I still do that. So I'm just not constantly always working and learning, right? But at the same time too, there's that balance, right? And so being able to decide, where, know where we're going and then what we need to do to get there and then just putting in the work and just doing it because no one's going to tell you to go get that certification. No one's going to tell you to enroll in that program. You have to want it. But the only way that it's going to be effective is you know the why. Why are you doing it? And so unless somebody doesn't know the why, they're not going to have that drive to do it. Now, do you find with your team, you know, somebody, you know, we tend to put on our best shirt and go in, do the job interview. You tell the guy (laughs) whatever he wants to hear just to get the job. Do you ever find that, you know, you think you've got this diamond in the rough and then six months later, you're like, where's that guy from the interview? And, you know, what, what <laughs> yeah. do we do now? Because you, you don't want to just, you know, fire somebody, but it's like they mm-hmm. haven't figured that out yet. And, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been out of school for way too long and I'm still trying to figure it out. Right. So <laughs> yeah. how do you expect that from somebody that's been out of school for three months? You know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I'd be lying to you if I told you that's never happened to me, but I can think of two hires in my career. Probably the two have come in probably the last like, I don't know, three or four years that I was really fooled by them, you know, like, yeah. oh my God, I just like, I was like, oh man, they meet all my characteristics. These guys are going to be awesome. Like, oh my God. And then within three to six months, I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Is this the same person? Like that's definitely happened. And so instead of like trying to beat myself up over, it's like, oh my God, I made a bad hire. It comes back to mindset, right? I saw, I was like, oh, okay, well one, let me see if there's somebody I can work with. Of course, in these particular instances, uh, one, you know, he wanted to do something else. And then the other one, I don't know what was going on with that one. 
But I use that as an opportunity to be like, okay, 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 let me revisit how I interview and get candidates. What exercises can I do? What questions can I ask? You know, can I get, you know, like with one candidate, for example, is that a previous company from Informatic, I was really like hard pressed to get someone in role because we had somebody get promoted and I needed to fill the spot really fast. And, you know, my talent acquisition team wasn't really helping in getting candidates. And I wasn't really getting very many through my network for a variety of reasons. But this candidate seemed awesome. I was like, oh my God, he's saying all the right things. He's going to be just a beast. Like, it's going to be awesome. But where I went wrong with that one was that I knew some people that had worked with him and I didn't reach out to them for their feedback on him. That could have potentially saved me, right? By just asking them like, hey, this guy's saying like he did this, this, and this at your company. Like, did he really do that? So I didn't do that. So then now I know moving forward that that's a learning experience. If I have a candidate that knows someone in my network, never again am I not going to ask for their feedback because of that one experience. This other candidate more recently, like thought it was super awesome. And then I find out in three to six months that he was, his long-term goal was to do something else, you know, initially be a firefighter and now he's a police officer. Right. And so the, the idea then is like, okay, well, how can I be more effective in my interviewing to find out what their long-term game is? So one of the things I'm looking for is aspiration and they need to be convincing in terms of, you know, why are they getting into this role? And so that wasn't really something that I talked too much in those interviewing aspects of like, why do you want this role specifically and where, how do you think it's going to get you to a long-term goal? And that's where, you know, I'm going to have to be able to assess whether or not I think they're being, you know, truthful or, or genuine on that. So, you know, it's happened more than likely. It's probably going to happen again. But because of these experiences and I see them as learning, you know, opportunities is that the next time it's going to be better. And then the next time is going to be better and just constantly learning and trying to get better. And how do you, if you're sitting out there and you're like, I don't know what my why is, you know, and like I haven't figured it out. Like any recommendations, you went through some amazing experiences and you mm-hmm. were able to really sit down and map that out. Like how do, how would you suggest somebody start with that? If they're just like applying for jobs, they don't know what they're supposed to do. They, mm-hmm. they came up and everybody was telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Until they were, you know, 20, 22 years old. And now it's like, what do I do? Yeah, really great question. And, and you know, something that it has to, like, one, you have to give it time. But you also have to take ownership of it. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to take ownership of their destiny. They don't want to create their reality for whatever reason, right? And so it comes back to that mindset. Like, I see my life as like a canvas. Like, I'm the artist. I'm like creating what I want, Right. Like, you don't know how many times like people have told me to do things that I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go start a company. I'm going to do that. Or, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this because that's what I want to do. And so I was just having an exchange with someone last week. The same thing kind of came up and it's like, you know, it all comes down to happiness, right? Like at the end of the day, that's all, that's what we all want, right? Like we all want to be happy, Right. You know, we feel like if we make more money, that's going to make us happy. We feel like if we do this, it'll make us more friends. And so start first, what makes you happy, right? Like what makes me happy is seeing that transformation in someone, you know, working towards their highest potential. That makes me so like, I'm so satisfied from that, right? You know, other people, they might be happy doing art or, you know, working with animals or kids or whatever. Like I, I, I love working with kids. Like I've done after school programs on entrepreneurship, financial literacy. And so part of it too is taking it a step further. So not just going through the thought exercise of like, you know, what makes me happy or what I want to do with life, but then actually going and getting that experience. 
and doing something about it, not just talking about it. So don't talk about it, be about it. And so we all know what makes us happy, right? Like there's these things. And then as we kind of go down that rabbit hole, we start finding other opportunities. And I tell this to people, sales isn't for everybody, but regardless of what we're doing, we're selling. And what I mean by that is we're selling our ideas. So if you're an accountant or finance or a lawyer or project manager, you're selling one way or the other. And so it's just us as sales professionals, we opted to do that as our primary job. And if you don't enjoy the aspects of sales, get out, right? Like you won't believe how many salespeople I've encountered in my career. They're just miserable with their job. They make great money. They don't have someone micromanaging, but they're still unhappy. And the reason why is because there's a misalignment in terms of who they are, the life they're experiencing, and who they want to be. And they have fear on living the life of who they want to be because they're overly concerned with other people's expectations. And so they may go down into a career that they may not want to do, say, sales, because that's all their friends are doing. But they're not happy with it. But then they continue doing it and they become jaded and all these things. And so you need to be true to yourself. And a book that one of my mentors recommended a long time ago that I recommend as well, I'm trying to work towards that. Obviously, the real popular one by Simon Sinek is Start With Why, like everyone references that one. But one that really helped me was there's this book called The Path by Lori Beth Jones. And the first hundred pages is kind of the key part. The, the other part of the book is very like heavily like around religion and things like that. Nothing wrong with that. But the idea is going through these exercises of identifying, you know, what are your strengths? What are your interests? What are your passions? And when you're doing something and you're in that state of flow where you lose track of time, you have high levels of energy and you're just like firing on all cylinders and it just seems so easy, that's when you find what you're passionate about. And then now the next challenge is to figure out how you can monetize that passion so that way you can right. sustain your life. And, and I've almost seen like, there's like Venn diagrams of concentric circles that kind of your passion, what makes money, what you like to do. And it's like, if you can kind of find that middle of the Venn diagram, then you're in really good shape. And most people- yeah you know, they're on the outside and they're just trying to find out like, like, and then, then it's easy for the years to go by. And like you said, you're now you're making pretty good money. You got a couple of kids, you know, you got a mortgage yeah. and it's like, now how do you change? So, so that seems like there's a good opportunity if you're on the younger side. Yeah. And one last thing. And even if you're on the older side too, like I got another thing for you. When's the best time to plant a tree? Yes. <laughs> 25 <laughs> years ago. 25 yeah. years ago, when's the, when's the next best time? Today, right? Yeah. You know, like I think so Colonel true. Sanders, the guy that started like Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, I think he started, he became really ultra successful at like age 64 or something crazy, right? So it's never too late. The last thing on that one, because I think it's really key for, you know, whoever's listening or people that they talk to or whatnot is we need to just let go of other people's expectations, whether it's our parents, our friends, because it's not their life. It's our life. And we need to embrace that opportunity that we create that. No one, like I was talking to this guy, I was telling you about it a little while ago, I was exchanging with him an email. He's going through this. He's like, oh, I ever find a work-life balance and, you know, between what I want to do and what I need to do. And I go, first and foremost, you need to do what you want to, like, don't have your expectation. He comes from a culture. He's Indian. He's, a, he's from India. And, you know, the family wants you to be, you know, say doctors or engineers or you know, lawyers or, you know, high because they want the best for you, right? But unfortunately, that's all they know 
and they want you to, they, they feel like that's the right thing for you. But if it creates that misalignment for you, you're going to be unhappy. And no one wants to live a life of, you know, being unhappy. And so once you're able to kind of shed those, you know, that, that burden on your shoulders of, well, the expectations are, I got to do this, I got to do that. Well, that's what someone else wants. At the end of the day, it's your life. And you're going to have to like be on your deathbed. And the last thing you want is any regrets that you should have done this or you should have done that. And, you know, because as I mentioned earlier, you know, I had my battle with cancer when I was 19 and going through all that stuff is, you know, I look back on it, I'm fortunate to have that experience because it gave me that brush with death. And I remind myself is that I shouldn't be here today, right? Like if, if by luck, I didn't ask for that extra biopsy that then found it and did all those surgeries and did all that stuff that, you know, ended up getting me okay, I shouldn't be here. And because of that mindset, I'm not going to do something that I don't want to do. Like I have examples of where I walked off on jobs because somebody tried to compromise my integrity or morals or whatnot. And I wasn't going to stand for that. I wasn't going to sell myself out for a dollar and I was going to go figure something out. And I was going to be true to myself. And so that's really key is, you know, we do all this studying in school and all this stuff, but unfortunately we don't do enough self-reflection to, to understand and embrace who we are. And once we do that, it becomes kind of our guiding light into what we want to make this life out to be and, you know, kind of create our own legacy. That's amazing. And it's, it's interesting just swinging it back. Well, first of all, I, I want to go check out the path. That sounds like an amazing resource. And, you know, our profession and sales development does give us this great opportunity to, like you said, affect people, you know, learn, grow as sales is used you know, in all different aspects of your life. And it just, it's an amazing experience and it's something that you've really leveraged. So, you know, just wrapping up, you know, thank you for coming on, sharing all this wisdom with us. Oh yeah. Thanks so much for the opportunity. (laughs) You're probably going to get a flood of job applications, but how can people, if they want to dive into some of these topics, how do they get in touch with you and maybe look into some of the opportunities over there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the things too, is that, I mean, I welcome helping anybody out. You just never know the impact you can make on just a single person. And I know we're a little bit over time, but I just want to kind of convey the power of just reaching out to somebody. Like I had connected with an individual in Kenya that, you know, I was mentoring him and he was deaf. And, you know, in the span of nine years, we created this organization in Kenya that now serves thousands of deaf and hard of hearing people. And I share that because it's one of those instances. Oh, thanks. Non-sales related. But the reason why I share that is because if I wouldn't have just like worked with that one person, it wouldn't have this cascading effect. And so I don't know if you've heard of the story of, of the girl and the starfish and she's running on the beach and she's with her grandfather and she runs away from him and starts, you know, grabbing starfish and throwing them out in the ocean. And the grandfather starts laughing. He goes, oh, little baby girl, why are you throwing them out there? You can't possibly save all of them. And the little girl goes, no, well, to that one, I can And so that's the same thing is that I take the approach of I'm willing to help anybody that's willing to help themselves. And if they have the courage to reach out to me or anybody like that, I'm willing to help them because they're doing their part. And then it's on me to help put put that forward. So in terms of reaching out to me, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. I think I have my contact info public there. But, you know, send me a note when you send a LinkedIn connection request because I just get hit up by vendors so much that you got to include that little note right? And that's how you differentiate yourself. My email, you can email me and I guess I'll leave you with my personal email, but jc.otero, O-T-E-R-O dot A-T-X at gmail.com. Hit me up anytime, willing to help out. 
And I love this kind of thing, being able to help people because people help me and it's my way of paying it forward. So keep that in mind. It's an amazing opportunity, folks. Take advantage of it because this is a treasure trove of wisdom that can help and guide you. It's an amazing program that you've built and you know, just the wisdom you've been able to share with the group here is awesome, man. So we'll get you back on again for round two. But JC yeah, Otero, sure. thanks for coming on the, the Sales Development Podcast, man. Yeah, thanks so much for doing what you do too. Like you got so much great content, like both on blogs and podcasts and events. Like I'm really glad that, you know, one of your, one of your employees found me because you know, I love your newsletters and just a treasure trove of, of content too. Really thank you for everything that you're doing too, David. Oh, absolutely, man. Let's do some more stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. folks, there's a great blog post that JC wrote. That's how we started Home over call. on the Down blog. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I'm cold calling everybody's favorite topic. (laughs) Love it. Well, thanks so much, man. We'll see you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.